Good morning. It's a pleasure to be here worshiping with you this morning. Um, as uh, Lois said, my name is Chris Schoon. I serve you and the rest of the Christian Reformed Church as the Director of Faith Formation Ministries. Basically, that means uh, our team of people, 15 people around the U.S. and Canada, are concerned with walking alongside churches to help you grow faith for life. And so we have people who on our team who pay attention to our youngest ones uh, in children's ministry all the way up to those who are in the third third of life uh, and trying to figure out how to be faithful uh, still in their 70s, 80s, and 90s uh, with what it means to follow Jesus Christ. Uh, this morning, uh, as I'm joining you, I'm going to be preaching from Psalm 36, and I'll read uh, those words here. I have a message from God in my heart concerning the sinfulness of the wicked. There is no fear of God before their eyes. In their own eyes, they flatter themselves too much to detect or hate their sin. The words of their mouths are wicked and deceitful. They fail to act wisely or do good. Even on their beds, they plot evil. They commit themselves to a sinful course and do not reject what is wrong. Your love, Lord, reaches to the heavens. Your faithfulness to the skies. Your righteousness is like the highest mountains. Your justice like the great deep. You, Lord, preserve both people and animals. How priceless is your unfailing love, O oh God. People take refuge in the shadow of your wings. They feast on the abundance of your house. You give them drink from your river of delights, for with you is the fountain of life. In your light we see light. Continue your love to those who know you, your righteousness to the upright in heart. May the foot of the proud not come against me, nor the hand of the wicked drive me away. See how the evildoers lie fallen, thrown down, not able to rise. This is the word of the Lord. I don't know if you noticed, but this psalm starts out differently than most. I have a message in my heart concerning the sinfulness of the wicked. Now, honestly, how many times do we pause to reflect on the wicked? I mean, we come to church and part of our desire in coming to worship is that we would be built up and we would be encouraged. And here this psalm says, let's start by thinking about the wicked. Huh. It's a little heavier, isn't it? It puts us in a different posture. It's much easier when we can enter worship and leave the weak behind, and, and much less this text calling us to use language like wicked. I, I mean, think about it for a moment. Who in your life do you know that you would say that person is wicked? really not a term we normally use, and yet scripture here is comfortable using that language. I mean, we have a hard time saying, that person is my enemy. 
Now, sure, we may have a disagreement. We may not like a certain person, but to actually go to the point of labeling someone else our enemy, it just doesn't feel comfortable, does it? We're not quite sure what to do with that type of language. It seems abstract, a a bit distant from us today. Earlier this spring, I had an opportunity to join with a, a few people from around the U.S. to go on what's called a Sankofa trip, a trip of remembering, and we traced back through a bunch of major civil rights sites in the South, starting in Louisiana and moving through Mississippi and into Alabama. And it was one thing for me to learn about many of those historical places in the history textbooks and along the way in different conversations, but to be physically present in some of the spaces. It brought me into a story where there was a lot of wickedness, a a lot of evil, a a lot of things that I went, God, how could you let this happen? I imagine this week and last week, people in Buffalo, people in Uvalde, Texas, they're talking about wickedness and evil in a pretty poignant way. That idea of being in a space where you've seen a tragedy happen, tragedies that were preventable, and you can't come up with other language other than to say, God, this is evil, this is wicked. If we sat for a few moments and we talked together about some other places in the world where we see evilness and wicked popping up, we could probably name a few. We don't know what the wickedness or evil is that David's talking about in this psalm, though. We just recognize that David and God's people after him realized that there was a need to have a language, a a conversation with God about what to do when you are faced with evil and wickedness in the world. How do we understand this, God? What do we do with this? Our hearts aren't meant to carry it. We aren't meant to hold these types of tragedies, this type of wickedness. So what do we do? The psalmist reflects a little bit here at the beginning. These first four verses focusing on that wickedness. There's no fear of God before their eyes. It's a naming of reality. The people who are committing these atrocities, they're not following you, God. They don't care for you. They don't fear you. They're living for themselves. In fact, the text goes on to say they even flatter themselves. They can't detect their sin. They're so caught up in what they're doing that they're they're unaware of how much damage and harm they're causing. It goes on, and and part of me wants to to yell and and to scream before God. 
What do we do with this when we encounter people like this in the world? How does this stop? Where is the end of this? Verse 4, even on their beds, they plot evil. I mean, just think about that language for a minute from David. He's, he's saying, God, they can't escape it. Day or night, these people who are wicked, they are bent on doing harm. They are bent on destroying others. They are bent on wrecking your kingdom. Even on their beds. I mean, how do we, how do we respond what do we do with that? There's certainly, as this text begins, a naming of it. There's a crying out. There's a coming before God and saying, God, look at this mess. We need you. We need you, God, to intervene. But there's another line in this first verses that also gives me pause and I think invites us to reflect on our own hearts in the midst of seeing the evilness and wicked in the world around us. And it's in the end of verse 3. Part of the description of the wicked and the evil is that they fail to act wisely or do good. They fail to act wisely or do good. Historically, the church has talked about two types of sin. Sins of commission, things that we intentionally go out and do. And when we think about those who are evil and wicked, we tend to focus on that part. They've done this great crime, this great atrocity, this thing we can't explain. They have harmed others intentionally. But David, David's saying, you know what? That wickedness goes a step further. It's, it's also because of people failing to do what is good and right. Those historically have been called sins of omission. Things that we have decided not to do, that we know are good and right. And David is somehow in the midst of this saying, yes, it's the visible tragedies, but it's also the people staying silent. It's also people not rising up. I don't know about you, but I don't like to think of myself as wicked. I'm much more comfortable thinking it's those people over there. Sorry, I'm not pointing to all of you. <laughs> but it, it's those people who are, are doing the tragedies. David implicates all of us. By saying the wicked include those who fail to do what is right. Let's just give that pause a moment. In the passage from the Heidelberg Catechism that Lois read this morning includes a statement that we're to do everything we can to prevent harm to our neighbors. I have to admit, I haven't done everything I can. I don't know about you, but it's hard <laughs> to 
to be reading this psalm and trip across that line and go, wait a minute. It's me too. I'm one of the wicked. (laughs) One who has decided at times not to follow along God's ways, not to seek the good of my neighbor, but benefit of myself. There's a pause between verse 4 and 5. Now, it's not written in there, but there is a pause. There's such a tone change between verses 4 and 5. And I think there's an invitation for us simply to be silent a moment. I'm going to invite us to pray, and it is a bit of a prayer of confession, but invite us to pray and to say, Lord, yes, the evil in the world, but the wickedness in my own heart, too, needs to be named before you. So please pray quietly with me, and I'll I'll close this in just a minute. Lord, the psalmist said, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See the offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. When we see the wickedness in the world, we cry out against it, and at the same time, at the same time, we stand before you. We ask you to search us, to make us whole and holy that by sins of commission and sins of omission, we might not contribute to the wickedness of the world, but that we would participate in your kingdom, in your character, here and now. In Jesus' name, amen. Remember what David said about where the wicked plan all their wickedness? Remember, he said it was while they were on their beds. (laughs) Just keep that image of the wicked being in the small space of their bed. Because David throws us in a completely different direction here. Listen to the, the scope, the expansiveness of how he describes where God is planning God's character to show up. Your love, Lord, reaches to the heavens. Your faithfulness to the skies. Your righteousness is like the highest mountains. Your justice like the great deep. Just, just picture that for the moment. As, as high as you can think, the highest heavens, the skies, the biggest mountains, and the great deep, the foundations of the earth. And the words here, especially in the Hebrew, it jumps out a bit more, are really essential to God's character. It's words about justice, about God's faithful love, about God's righteousness. Words that are used throughout Scripture to describe the very character of God. And it's saying, God, the evil one is on their bed, and you are over everything and under everything. You fill the earth. What a contrast. In a day and age where the news media is filled with stories of things gone wrong, 
of wickedness and brokenness all around us, and it seems like we can't escape it as a world, we're reminded in this psalm that God's character, God's loving kindness, God's righteousness, God's faithfulness, God's justice is actually what fills the earth. God is bigger than the brokenness of the world around us. Now, we're not going to pick apart each verse in, in this psalm, but if you read the next bunch of verses, there's probably five or six different metaphors that David trips over trying to describe how good God is. And what he's doing is reorienting us from the experience of the world and the experience of the wickedness in the world to say, remember, the foundation of our reality is not the brokenness. The foundation of our reality is the God who created everything good and who still loves us and who is still with us. And, and one of those metaphors he uses is this one in verse 7. People take refuge in the shadow of your wings. Now, wings is used two ways in the Old Testament. One, it's used as a military term. It describes the breadth of the military, not just the center part of it, but the arms of it, the wings of it that surround and envelop the enemy. It's used a couple of times to describe the military might of God's people coming against their enemies. And to say that we are given refuge in the shadow of his wings is saying God has the power to overwhelm the evil, overwhelm the wickedness. God is at work. He's not forgotten about it. The other use of this idea of wings, and especially of under the shadow of his wings, is of a mother hen taking her chicks underneath her wings, providing them protection and comfort and shelter. So we have in this image a God who says, I've got you. I'm holding on to you. I'm protecting you. I'm, I'm sheltering you. And a God who at the same time says, evil will not have the final word. What you see is wrong and I will stand up against it. I will undo it. I will defeat this wickedness. And those images are combined together of a God who is comfort to us and a God who stands against the evilness and the wicked in the world. And isn't that what Jesus did on the cross? A God who stretches out his arms both to protect us and to defend us, both to shelter us and, and bring us in and say, I've got you and to say the sin in the world and the sin in your own heart won't be the end of the story. My grace, my love, my justice, my righteousness, my faithfulness is bigger than the wickedness the world has to offer. And in Jesus Christ's death and resurrection, we are wrapped in and under the shadow of God's wings. David's response to seeing the wickedness in the world is to say, God's got us. He's not going to let go. Even though the circumstances say, oh, God's not letting go. And God, 
going to hold on to us, and God's going to protect us, and God's going to deliver us. And David's looking ahead to that time when God's salvation would be made known. And we get to look back and remember what God did in Jesus Christ on the cross and in the resurrection. So the question then becomes, how do we live now? How do we live now being reminded that, yes, there is wickedness in the world, and being reminded that Christ's salvation gives us protection and comfort and hope? The psalm ends this way. Lord, continue your love to those who know you, your righteousness to the upright in heart. May the foot of the proud not come against me, nor the hand of the wicked drive me away. See how the evildoers lie fallen, thrown down, not able to rise. David comes to a point of saying, the wickedness that seems so strong, so pervasive, so dominating, is going to come to an end. It won't last. And because it will actually be cast down and thrown down by God, we have hope to live faithfully here and now. We, as God's people, to engage the world with the righteousness of God, with the loving kindness of God, with the faithfulness of God, and yes, in pursuit of the justice of God to embody God's character here and now in the presence of the wicked, knowing that the end of the story is not wickedness overcoming us, but God overcoming the wickedness in our own hearts and indeed throughout the world. This is the good news. Let's pray. You... O oh Lord, are faithful. You, O oh Lord, are loving and kind. You are righteous. You seek justice. We thank you for your son's life and death and resurrection. We thank you that even now, Jesus is at the right hand of you, Lord interceding on our behalf. We thank you that you have not left us to the evil and wickedness of the world around us or even of our own hearts. But in that, in Christ, you are at work even now making all things new, including us. Lord, may you overcome the wickedness and evil that we have seen this week and in the last couple weeks, may you overcome the evil and wickedness that has dogged us for centuries and bring us freedom and hope because of what you have done in Jesus Christ and what you have promised yet to do. It's in you that we live and move and have our being and pray today. Amen.